it's with great pleasure that I welcome to the studio my good friend Mark Jones, who has come in today to talk about all things rock art. Let's see, is your microphone working there, Mark? One, two, one. Yes, it would appear that it is. Good stuff. Um, Mark has been involved in many, many uh, ventures in the Kimberley, in the in the world of media and production. Um, and I must say, is one of the probably the reason I personally ended up in Broome because he uh, he went on on a sabbatical to the UK, chasing a girl, and uh, offered me his position as camera stroke sound engineer for Malcolm Douglas uh, and I that's how I lobbed up many years ago but tell us Mark how did you first come to Broome? All adventures involve a girl. Um, <laughs> I came to Broome actually as a result of a girl uh, many moons ago nearly 25 years ago. Wow. I had just graduated from university down in Perth and the last thing that I ever wanted to do was uh, used the degree that I got, so I jumped in a car with a mate of mine with about a hundred bucks in my pocket, ran out at the Carnarvon Hotel, ran out of money, had to bludge my way here, and my sister was working with Malcolm at the Crocodile Park, Yeah, and there was a, a gap there, and I asked her if uh, she could get me a gig, and that's where it all started for me. Yeah, right. Now... Um you were involved, obviously, in the, uh, the in, in a lot of the early, uh, not early, I should say, later work, but f- uh, cameraman with Malcolm and um, having myself been into the country with you and him, uh, you obviously went far deeper into the into the wilderness and um, with, were one of those lucky people that got to, to witness a culture um, that most white people would never get to see. Tell us about your first involvement with all that one-arm point mob and, and going out through country and some of the things you saw with him and filmed that that, that uh, influenced where you're going now. Uh, yeah, well, I was. I was extremely lucky. I ended up making, or shooting, I should say, 17 films with Malcolm. He made 50, actually, all up. So the, the when he died in 2010... We were literally just finishing the edit for his last film, which was his 50th film. Excuse me. And so it all started for me. I was digging holes at the Crocodile Park, (laughs) getting dirty flies and everything else. Paying your dues. Getting shouted at by Malcolm, which (laughs) he was famous for. And I noticed this character come in one day and dressed in car keys very macho looking fellow and he had a big camera and he's on his shoulder and he kind of dismissed all of us jumped into the car and off he went and got paid his money and shot these amazing docos and i thought wow that's what i was only 22 at the time and i thought to myself that's what i want to do his name was mitch kelly he became a good mate in the end and so I started, as I've always done, I started to ask lots of questions and then I started to, in my own gentle way, start to lean on Malcolm who kept telling me to bugger off because I had no experience <laughs> with the camera and eventually capitulated because Mitch was crook actually. And right. so I went away on this trip and all of a sudden Malcolm gives me this great big analogue camera which I didn't even know how to turn on. With a motorcycle battery hanging on. With off a motorcycle battery hanging on, <laughs> you know. And, and, uh, and off we went. The first trip I did was with um, Albert Wiggins' father, a very good 
well, the family I'm very close with and have been close with for 25 years. Um, Albert Wigan's father and Malcolm were very close, and and uh, that's when I met Albert. Actually, when he was only eight years old, I often tell the story, and I keep always seeing him shake his head. But I, it's <laughs> it's a very important time for me. And we went yeah. and stayed on Bianna Island for a week, collecting trochus shell, looking at the tiger sharks swimming past the camp, and and everything else. And that's when it dawned on me that. Um, uh, I was falling in love not only with the country, I was also falling in love with this ancient culture, and I was also falling in love with the camera, and that's where it started for me. Yeah, yeah, great. That's a great forward to a book right there. <laughs> and um, so years later, or no, I won't go that far, I would say the, the you're working on a film now with Mitch Torres, which is something that I, I see as pretty unique in the, the fact you're documenting all of the rock art and making a feature about rock art, Kimberley rock art in particular. Where Tell us about the first time you saw rock art. Um, presumably it was on a Malcolm Douglas filming trip. Uh, yes, it was. Again, uh, not long after I started with him, I went up the Gibb River Road and I was extremely lucky to spend time with three old men who have since passed. So obviously I won't mention their names, but they have three very senior men and their wives. And we went to a place called Bitchalili, which is a, uh, an amazing soak um, out near Mount Barnett. And we made a raft. We made a paperback raft out of pandanus and paperback over the over a week and we ended up rowing it on on the waterhole and everything else during the day the men would work and we'd strip the big paperback trees and take the blankets of paperback off and cut the pandanus and get the twine and everything else and the women would go out and forage and hunt and we'd eat frogs and i ate bull's testicles one day and all the old men were laughing at me and um you know we oysters yeah and and uh, an amazing experience and anyway <clears throat> Uh, on the second day, as I recall it, the old man, one of the old men took uh, me to a little cave, tiny little cave, and there sitting there was a Goyon painting. And it was the first time I'd seen it. And it blew me away, a human figure. And I asked him the story, and he told me the old story about the Goyon bird, the woodpecker who pecked its beak and the blood that came out created the image and everything else. And, of course, for a white fella... It's an ethereal explanation that doesn't really resonate with us. And so I remember listening to that story and, and wondering about that image, as all of us have done it um, since we've looked at that. And then, you know, 25 years later, well, I remember then thinking, wow, there's a film in this, and thinking all the way along there's a film in this. And 25 years later, I'm lucky enough, as you say, to be collaborating with my good mate Mitch and uh, we are now finally we're in the very early stage we're finally making a film about not just that painting but about all the different chapters of art uh, in the Kimberley Fantastic, when do you think this this uh, masterpiece will be available for viewing? It's a good question uh, It's we've been 18 months in the making now and we're only just starting to get to the consultation process where right. we're going to go and talk to the TOs up along the Gibb River up to Columbaroo and start yeah. um, talking to them about how the story would look the great thing about this film is it's a big production but the great thing about this film is that it will be co-owned by the Indigenous people as right. well so we're pretty stoked with that outcome so We've been doing a lot of work on the back end of the film. 
and literally just before I drove here this morning, I'm writing the writer's statement, and Mitch is uh, crafting the director's statement, which then is now going into the funding bodies to uh, make this thing live. Awesome. And so does most of it feature around uh, the Northern Kimberley? It all features the Northern Northern Kimberley, but uh, I think I went to the States about three years ago, and um, a couple of my friends who are lovers of the Kimberley uh, over in Los Angeles and San Francisco, they showed me a film called Cave of Forgotten Dreams, a a famous film by a German writer-director, Werner Herzog. Of Grizzly Man fame, if anyone is. Of Grizzly Man fame. He does. He makes some (laughs) cracking films. And... In this film, the thing that blew me away was the silence of the images. Right. There was nobody there. There was nobody from the mob there to illuminate what the image was. And so there was a bunch of white fellas there left to ponder what this could mean. And, of course, that's a rabbit hole or a wormhole that you never come out of Yeah. when you're left to ponder what they could actually mean. And it got me to thinking, hang on, we've got the oldest surviving culture here in the world that can translate nearly all of the images right through to 50,000 years. We can go right back through all the different epochs and there are stories attached to it. And so if we can translate those stories to a wider audience, then we have what could be one of the greatest stories ever told. It takes Indeed. Us, it takes us to a time before history because history is only 10,000 years. It appears we've got 50,000 years of history here, so we go into prehistory, which we don't know anything about. Yeah. Wow, it's a fascinating journey. It sounds like there's more than one film in this story. Well, there's a lot to pack in, and that's the art and the craft of filmmaking, isn't it, is to make something something that's digestible in a time frame that, you know, you don't lose people in. Yeah. I think that's very exciting, and I can't wait to um, to see that. And obviously, I've been aware of it coming along for a while, so it's fantastic to know that it's coming. But on another note, I wanted to uh, to chat about some of your Kimberley experiences, which is really just a really we should have a, a billy going and a campfire, and it's one of those stories that you should sit down around it with a group of friends and uh, wind Mark Jones up and let him go. But uh, perhaps you could uh, tell us a story um, before before I let you go. Uh, give us uh, one of your adventures with Malcolm. I've got a few up my belt, um, and I know that you've got far more with us. And, uh, and I was just thinking in the time that um, since he's gone, that the, the impact that he had on, uh, on people up here, and especially in my, my life, and, uh, and yours must have been a, a great deal more than that. I feel very fortunate that I got to go into some incredible country that white man would never see normally. And for you, that must be the same. But um, every trip that we ever did, uh, as you sure you concur, was frayed with uh, danger and risk. And when you came out the other end, you wondered how you managed to survive. Give us, uh, give us your favourite story um, on a Malcolm Douglas adventure. Ah, uh, yes, Malcolm Douglas. <laughs> uh, frayed and dangerous. And, you know, the number of people that have said to me, I would have done that differently. And, of course, if they had have done that differently or if Malcolm had done that differently, then there was never going to be a film. <laughs> so the whole point of the exercise was to encourage and invite danger at every corner. As I get a little bit older and I mature a little bit more and the memories start to waft and change in the breeze, one of my favourite ones these days, and I know you're trying to extricate out of me the story about Malcolm walking around to the front of the boat with no clothes on, but I'm not going to go there. 
<laughs> but uh, when uh, I I had a, a heated relationship with Malcolm, especially in the first ten years, and sure. I always said to people, if you're prepared to put up ten years of Malcolm's. Um, ways then the next 10 years can be very rewarding and so it took me 10 years to realize that anyway at the end of the 10 years when we had the biggest falling out i told him to where to go in a very non-polite way i went down and took up a job in perth and we didn't talk to each other for nearly two years and in that two years he contracted prostate cancer and such was my anger that i didn't ring him and if he had passed away, it would have been one of the biggest regrets of my life. But thankfully, sure. he didn't. He pushed through it. And I'd, I was, I'd been kept abreast of what was going on, and I knew that he'd gotten through it and everything else, but I'd never expected to talk to him again, as so many people don't. And then I got this phone call from him, and he said to me, what are you doing? And I said, because at the time I was making a fishing show, I said, you know, we're out fishing and everything else, and he basically said it's a crap show. And I said, well, yeah, it is, but it pays the bills and everything else. You know, we had mortgages and everything. And uh, he said to me, do you know what saved my life? And I said, no, Malcolm, I have no idea. And he said, you said something to me two years ago that um, changed the way I thought, and I went in and saw the doctor, and that, that was got, that's what got me through. And I thought to myself, wow, he is human. He, right. he does he does have a heart and then in a in a very Malcolm sort of way he never said sorry he would never say sorry that generation don't say sorry <laughs> he said I'm making uh, another film can you be on a plane next week and I said yes and I went up there and it was as if nothing had happened but the relationship had changed we'd gone from him being my boss me being his slave <laughs> to friends yeah and uh, and and thankfully for the next eight years um we collaborated every now and then it certainly was never as solid as it was before because i'd moved off and done other things he he uh said he came down to our wedding i got married to the 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 woman that i should have always been with and he came down and said a speech and was our official photographer uh he was there when my daughter was born he was there and, and everything else so yeah i think as i get older i remember malcolm very fondly and i'm so glad that the heart that i always thought was there i finally discovered it and we were we were very close by the time he passed away that's a a really great a really great summary of the guy and uh yeah i feel feel very much the same a man who is dearly missed i will turn you out into the kimberly morning now having finished with you but before we go you've uh, requested a song that we play which is tom waits the house where nobody lives why have you chosen this song to blow everyone out of their radio seats today it's a very good question will and i'm glad you asked it <laughs> when i got married to meg uh, my son uh, was my best man. Our son was my best man. And he uh, recited the lyrics to this song at our wedding in front of 150 people on the beach down near Margaret River. I think the words are very, very powerful because a house is made of wood, but it's what in, what's inside the house that makes 
makes it a palace it's a it's a brilliant song awesome well thanks for joining us mark this has been mark jones everybody talking to us about the film that he is making about kimberly rockhart with mitch torres and uh, maybe we'll get you back in just before it hits the can festival and you can talk it up some more if you can get me before we uh, are accepting our little gold statue in los <laughs> angeles mate absolutely i'd love to be here <laughs> thanks a lot see you later see you mate 